Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Synergy Pro Wrestling founder outed as a convicted child molester. Thigh slaps are now a finable offense in the WWE, and I take you back to 2020's AEW Revolution. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at Daily DDT. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. Last night was WWE Friday Night SmackDown, but before we get into that, let's check out our news. Synergy Pro Wrestling founder Colin West, also known as Patrick Shea, outed as a convicted child molester. According to New Jersey State Records, he was arrested for aggravated criminal sexual contact in 1999. The records state that he was convicted of sexually assaulting three male acquaintances between the ages of 6 and 10. And in a separate case, he was convicted of sexually assaulting a 12-year-old male. IWTV and many professional wrestlers have announced that they will no longer be affiliated with Synergy Pro Wrestling. Synergy Pro Wrestling's Twitter account has appeared to be deactivated as of this recording. WWE reportedly fining wrestlers for thigh slaps. As reported in the latest edition of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, WWE is fining wrestlers for thigh slapping when throwing kicks, a practice that goes back decades for added sound effects. There is said to have been a memo sent out to NXT talent for informing them of the rule. Fightful Select has added to this news, reporting that there was a sign in the WWE uh, Thunderdome last week with no thigh slapping written in big bold letters. This makes me laugh a little bit because the thigh slappings are, are kind of what makes pro wrestling pro wrestling. You know, you stomp your feet when you punch, you slap your leg when you kick, and you, you put on the show, you put on the, the performance. And some do better than others when it comes down to hiding it. And we even remember the beef that was being thrown around uh, with Randy Orton and a couple of the NXT guys saying that NXT is just a bunch of thigh slappers. And all they do is slap their thighs nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. Meanwhile, Randy Orton does the same exact thing when he does his punk kicks when he was going on that run uh, around summertime. So that was uh, pretty interesting to see that take there from Randy Orton back in the day. And now uh, with the thigh slaps being a finable offense, uh, really WWE laying their foot down. For that point, but what's next? No more stomping in the ring. Uh, you know, no more bumping into turnbuckles. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. No, no more uh, ripping off the announce table cover. I don't know. There could be a bunch more things coming forward, but uh, I'm just making jokes here. But still, the thigh slap fine. That keep a tally now going forward, looking to see how many thigh slaps you see on WWE television. I'd be surprised if I see much. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I see in a main event setting. I think a lot of people would be willing to take the fine possibly in a main event setting. Or uh, maybe not. Maybe that's where WWE wants that to stop completely to a point where it, it, uh, there's no number on how much the fine is, whether it's five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars. You know, there's no there's no number on it. But uh, I guess we'll we'll see going forward uh, how effective the fine is in these next few weeks of WWE television. Speaking of WWE television, last night was SmackDown, and uh, another SmackDown as we keep on chugging our way through to WrestleMania and before that Fastlane. And Daniel Bryan opens the show 
uh, Corey Graves opens on commentary, which was a little jarring to say the least, but he held his own. I will say that uh, Michael Cole introduces and interviews Brian, so he was standing in the middle of the ring, Michael Cole, so he couldn't do the commentary work. Uh, Daniel Bryan says that it's not going to be the same old Daniel Bryan. He's going to do his best to be in that main event between Edge and Reigns, whether it is taking out Roman Reigns or... Uh, being the universal champion at the time to face edge uh, he's speaking earnestly here and believe that he failed himself for not having enough ambition to be at wrestlemania brian struggles a bit on the microphone i will say that but still feels like an earnest promo coming from him roman reigns enters claims that brian isn't ambitious He's the underdog. Roman Reigns claims to love this business because of everyone else that needs him, not the other way around, meaning that Roman Reigns doesn't need this business. This business needs Roman Reigns, which is a pretty fair point on the end of Roman Reigns there. Jey Uso grabs the microphone and screams into it for 15 seconds again, as we're used to seeing every week. Uso goes for a cheap shot, but moves uh, out of the way by Daniel Bryan did and is tossed over the top rope. Uh, we will see Daniel Bryan and Jey Uso in the main event in a steel cage match. If Daniel Bryan wins that match, he will have a Universal Championship title match at Fastlane against Roman Reigns. So that's how you have it. I thought that was a decent opening segment. Uh, they did have a commercial break in between, which was a little odd, but not too odd. We've seen it sometimes, but a little odd for SmackDown, given that it's a two-hour show and on Raw. You know, sometimes they put two commercial breaks in there in the opening segment because it's such a long show and they're trying to fill time. Street Profits versus Sami Zayn and King Corbin. Uh, promo chattering back and forth before the match. Ends up turning into a one-on-one match with King Corbin taking on Montez Ford. With uh, Sami Zayn extremely, extremely upset complaining to his documentary crew. Both play to their strengths. Uh, so both Ford and Corbin do. Corbin using his strength and size advantage and Ford using his athletic ability. Distraction by Zayn gives Corbin the advantage and at end of days to pick up the victory. A little surprised there to see Ford taking the loss, but this segment is not over as Sami Zayn then asks for a match versus Angelo Dawkins right after. That match does happen. Zayn forces this match literally right after, so I thought they did a good job there by keeping it uh, all together. Uh, Corbin leaves ringside, having Zayn to battle on his own, even though uh, Sami Zayn did help King Corbin win, so that's one thing to note there. Zayn dominates early on. Dawkins connects with the silencer, which is a new move that Dawkins is trying to get over. Kick out by Zayn. Montez Ford interrupts Zayn's documentary crew by splashing water on them from his solo cup. The distraction allows Dawkins to roll up Zayn for the win. Big win for Dawkins, for him to actually get a big pinfall victory. Uh, I talked about this and I had a couple people contact me, giving my thoughts on uh, what what are they thinking about splitting up tag teams and having them run singles matches. You know, these are tag teams, not singles competitors. But I think this was really good for Angelo Dawkins, giving him a win, given that he is the quote-unquote the weaker link out of the two, out of the Street Profits, given that Montez Ford is just so much more dominant on the microphone than that's his role. So he's more of the big face presence of the... Street Profits, nothing against Angelo Dawkins, I think he's absolutely fantastic for his role in the Street Profits, but he has been the second fiddle of the two between Ford and Dawkins, if you will, at least as it currently stands. Uh, but there's nothing nothing against Dawkins, I think he's actually a fantastic, fantastic professional wrestler, and he gets a really big win here over Sami Zayn. Zayn attacks his uh, documentary crew, and the person that he does attack is Blake Christian. Uh, he... 
attacking Zane, screams, are you working for the company? Are you working for the company? And uh, yes, he is working for the company currently, Blake Christian is. And I thought that was really, really funny, uh, given how it's sort of a double entente there. Uh, Reginald backstage, Reginald holding a tray with champagne, a bottle and a glass, uh, encounters Carmella. Carmella slaps the tray out of Reginald's hand and fires him right there on the spot. Uh, I would like to say this is the end of Reginald, but I think you'll see throughout the night. Uh, it is not. Dominic Mysterio with Rey Mysterio versus Chad Gable and Otis. Well, with Otis. It's a singles match, Dominic and Chad Gable. Gable dominates early on. Dominic with the same great uh, mat wrestling that we've been seeing for weeks and weeks from him. Uh, rolls up Gable for the victory. Great win for Dominic Mysterio, who... Honestly, he's probably still a few years away until he becomes a real talent in the WWE currently. Uh, he's good. He's a decent professional wrestler, but he's nowhere near WWE talent. He belongs in NXT. I think that's a perfect place for him to for him to develop in, in the quote-unquote developmental brand, but really honestly is the third brand of the WWE. And I think he'll be perfect there. In NXT, I would love to see Rey Mysterio in NXT as well. Uh, not to do matches, but to be that managerial or literal father figure of Dominic Mysterio. I think it would work out really, really well. And for him to actually develop not in front of the main roster on the grand stage. Let him develop in NXT. And I feel like with that, we could see Dominic Mysterio again in a few years really be a dominant force on the main roster. But right now, uh, even though he picked up the victory here... I don't see much at all coming from Dominic Mysterio. And if I do, I'll be not only one surprised, but genuinely upset, given the fact that, yes, he has had a very, very hot start in the WWE, having a feud with Seth Rollins and all that, and everything he had with Murphy and all that. What We'll see what it goes forward with with uh, Dominic Mysterio, but uh, not nothing to take away from him. He's going to be a great talent, but in a great talent in a couple years, just not right now. And for him to be having matches on the main roster and winning matches on the main roster sort of scratches my head a little bit. Uh, after the match, Rey Mysterio attacks Otis on the outside, giving him some payback. Remember, Otis literally squashed, literally and figuratively, Rey Mysterio uh, <laughs> in the center of the ring uh, two weeks in a row. So Rey Mysterio gets his comeuppance there. Seth Rollins with the interview backstage. At the end of the interview, Murphy enters to ask if he can help with the Cesaro situation. Rollins tells Murphy to get out of his sight. Uh, welcome back, Murphy, I guess. Uh, shame to see him crawl back to Rollins like he did. But we can't see this turn into an angle, obviously making Murphy beg his way to be under Seth Rollins' wing once again, if that's the direction Murphy is going in. You, I just look back on those matches, man, that him and Aleister Black had like three weeks in a row on Monday Night Raw that were show stealers back to back to back, all three of those matches, and now where are they both? Murphy on the bottom of the card and was barely shown on TV for the past few weeks, now making his return. Aleister Black probably not going to make his turn to return to the WWE for quite some time. They have no idea what to do with him. And it's honestly a travesty and a shame, given how well these two matched up together one-on-one. -on -one. I would love to see that again on SmackDown. I wouldn't mind it. And you know the wrestling is good between them two. It would be really nice to see, really, really nice to see between Murphy and Black if they can do something. But sadly, uh, odds are we're probably not going to see anything coming from those two anytime soon. Shayna Baszler versus Bianca Belair. Uh, why we are seeing Belair and Banks face Jax and Baszler at Fastlane is mind-blowing. 
I think it's absolutely a travesty to the women's tag team division. But whatever is left of it currently at the moment, there's no reason why Bianca Belair and uh, Sasha Banks should be so buddy-buddy with each other. They do have a match at WrestleMania where they're going against each other. Doesn't mean that they have to be buddy-buddy best friends going into it, but doesn't mean that they have to hate each other's guts either. Just let it happen and let it move forward. Just let the story progress. There's no need for them to be tag-teamed together at this moment. And obviously, it's a good pairing on paper, but not when they have a match coming up at WrestleMania. It makes no, absolutely no sense to me. And it also makes no sense to me why Jackson Baszler still hold on to the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. We might see a form of that championship belt appear on NXT as a completely separate title. That is some of the rumors that are currently floating around, which is, I think it's a good thing. For NXT, where they can get to show, okay, we have a women's tag team division, and we're going to use it to the best of our ability, and they're going to do a great job with it. We're going to show the main roster that we can do it better than you, and they probably will once again, given the fact that the Riot Squad has literally had no work and no progression towards these tag team titles. Same thing with Natalia and Tamina. Even though that they're somewhat new on the scene when it comes to the tag team division, Still, you got to give him a shot. Just put them to just throw it at fast lane. Just do it. Even if you give Jax and Baszler the victory, you, you have to do something, man. I, I'm sick and tired of seeing this women's tag team division that had a ton of potential just go to dust, go to absolute dust. And it's an absolute shame for the WWE, given the fact that how well that they built this women's division as a whole throughout the women's evolution. And now I feel like it's they're letting it go by the wayside, and they definitely can't do that. Uh, they really need to build up this women's tag team division, whether that comes from NXT, whether that comes from uh, expanding the roster in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I really have no clue what to say anymore about this women's tag team division. I really felt like they could have fixed it by dropping the belts to Kai and Gonzalez, even though Kai and Gonzalez really didn't even lose that match uh, this Wednesday at uh, NXT. They didn't lose. It, it, it was a a screwy finish. It was a screw job type finish with Adam Pierce. So not yeah, I guess it protects Kai and Gonzalez and it also protects Jackson and, and Baszler, so everyone just leaves neutral. But at the end of the day it sort of lowered the value of once again of this women's tag team division because the it's just not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. I I guess we'll see some progression coming uh, the next episode of NXT because William Regal is supposed to have a big announcement, whether that is new belts, whether that is the ability for NXT tag teams to go up to the main roster to fight for the women's tag team division. Uh, it, we have to see. We have to see. I really hope something comes out of this. Something. But either way, I haven't even talked about the match yet. That's just me ranting early on, but even before the match started. Sasha Banks enters before the match starts. Reginald follows. Reginald also needs to be stopped as well. Uh, I wouldn't say that Reginald is bad. I wouldn't say that what he does is bad. I just think it's at the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't think what he's doing right now is adding any more to the story between Banks and Belair. I think it's kind of a distraction. Uh, I would like to see if Banks could just pick up some wins before Mania, if Belair can just pick up some wins before Mania, and then those two just come to a head at WrestleMania, both on an extreme hot streak, they both find their way there, and just make it a competitive bout. Just make it a real, like, 
they build up Bianca Belair almost like how they build up a UFC fighter. They gave her post-match promos. She's out of breath. She's sweating. You know, she's heavy breathing into the mic. They build her up kind of like that. They don't build her up like a regular WWE superstar is. So if you're going to go with that route, stick with it to Mania and not have them be so buddy-buddy with each other. Uh, that's another thing that's been on my mind for quite some time with this women's division. I really The match, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks wrote itself. There's no reason for it to be all marred and muddied uh, on its way there. You know, we're on the road to WrestleMania, not on the dirt road. We're on the paved path, and you, they wrote itself. I, felt like, I feel like they're really trying to derail it for no reason. Baszler dominates early on against Bianca Belair with great submission holds and strikes. Belair is sent out of the ring, and at the feet of Reginald, uh, Belair pushes Reginald into Jax, Jax pushes Reginald into Banks, and then Jax tries to attack Banks, excuse me, tries to attack Reginald, but ends up attacking Banks in the process on quote-unquote accident, because Reginald moved out the way. This distraction uh, caused Shayna Baszler to lose the match as Bianca Belair connected with the KOD, uh, Belair tells Banks to take care of the Reginald situation. Banks slaps the taste out of Reginald's mouth, but she did not slap her leg, so no fine there. No fine there. Uh, hopefully, this is, once again, uh, hopefully this is the last we see of him, but uh, not only was is he bad, uh, not only is he bad in this situation, it's because, it, once again, wrong place, wrong time. Wrong place, wrong time. It, in any other situation, if you're still with Carmella, and Carmella was in a feud with someone else, like Bailey or literally anyone else in the women's division, I wouldn't mind Reginald there. I feel like he adds something from a managerial sense to Carmella, right? But in the sense of this, there's no reason for him to be involved in any way, shape, or form. No, absolutely no reason. Next match, Murphy versus Cesaro, the battle of the lost first names. Seth Rollins enters for a closer look on commentary. Murphy picks up the pace of the match, taking control. Cesaro takes Murphy for a ride on the Cesaro swing. Sharpshooter for the victory. And uh, poor, poor Murphy. Poor Murphy. He just got thrown into the fire there for Cesaro to eat up. And uh, I think we're going to see Cesaro Rollins at Fastlane. I think it's simple as that. Grudge match, something to put in the middle of the card. Uh, so not too serious, but something to get Cesaro over. And uh, hopefully Cesaro gets a universal title run at some point versus uh, Roman Reigns. I'd like to see how that would go uh, after uh, Roman Reigns faces Edge at Mania. Reginald backstage. Uh, Banks slams the door in Reginald's face. Nia Jax encounters Reginald and thinks he's cute. Please stop. Just please stop. Please stop. This is the... Third time I had to talk about Reginald today. I don't feel like talking about Reginald anymore, so we won't. Apollo Crews. Oh, boy. I did forget. <laughs> Not that I forgot. It's just now I got to talk about Apollo Crews. This is a tough episode of SmackDown. There are some high points and some really, really low points. And here is the low, one of the lowest points of this show. And I know I talked bad about Reginald and talked bad about the women's detecting division. This was probably the lowest point of the show and one of the lowest points of SmackDown in quite some time. Apollo Crews cutting a promo. He enters with a remix to his music, a Nigerian militia, and a spear. Uh, also has a Nigerian accent that isn't genuine to him. We all know he speaks like a, uh, as how I would speak. He doesn't have a, an accent. He doesn't have one. He's putting on a show. Uh, he says one thing I did like from this. He said he's a real African-American. Uh, maybe WWE is banking off the Coming to America 2 <laughs> stuff on, on Amazon uh, Prime Video. Uh, I really don't get it. 
I don't get it. How can you mess this up so fast, Apollo? How can you mess this up so fast? I was rooting for you. I really was, Apollo. I was rooting for you. I've talked to so many people about you. They were saying that this was going to be a bad thing for you. They're saying like, oh, this gimmick's going to turn into a race thing. And even if it did, I wouldn't have thought it was going to be so much of a problem given the fact of how you acted last week. You seemed even you you went back to your roots. You don't see Roman Reigns putting on a Samoan accent and going with the whole pomp and circumstance of of uh, being Samoan. Yes, there's some aspects to it, but it was done in a tasteful light. I feel like this was done in a gimmicky light. This was done in a non-tasteful light. This was done in a way that honestly made fun of Apollo Crews more than it helped Apollo Crews. I was really rooting for him. I was really, really rooting for him. A couple days ago, I made a podcast. I titled it The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of the Possibilities of, of Apollo Crews Going Forward, right? The the good uh, stuff that could have came from it, given the fact that uh, he's finally had something I could grab onto, something that finally made Apollo Crews a character and a person, and he didn't need all this racial stuff and the racial backing of it at all, at all. Why is Apollo Crews carrying around a spear? Why? Why? I don't mind the militia aspect. I think that's it might be a nice touch. But why is he carrying around a spear? And the main thing, why does he have an accent? He doesn't have an accent. It's not him. So when he goes around and he says, I'm a real African-American, well, you're lying, first off, by giving us an accent. So you, you've already lied, right? And when was the last time we saw an accent type thing happen? With, with Kofi Kingston. He got rid of it and it made him a thousand times better. But now he's came, he already he's already come on TV with the accent. He's gonna have to hold it for at least uh, until this runs dry. Poor guy did it to himself. Did it to himself. Absolute shame. Absolute shame for Apollo Cruz. Good, bad, and ugly. He turned ugly in one week. One week it took. Absolute shame. Demands a rematch for the IC title against Big E. Uh, he ruined himself for me. I'll say it before I say it again. I just wish he stayed where he was last week. If he stayed where he was last week, he had the nice scarf, he had the nice gear, he spoke from his heart, it really felt genuine, he went back to his roots, and from, that's all I needed. If he stayed in that character, I would have been good. They went way too over the top for me. Way too over, over the top. And it was a really, really bad look, not only for Apollo, for the WWE, for everybody. It was just a really, really bad look. Didn't need that. And uh, I wish I, I could forget it. Ding dong hello segment with Bailey, uh, sweet tweet segment. Uh, just noticed the SNL type music that she has, which I thought was pretty good for the ding dong hello type stuff. Uh, two good, one bad tweet, which is like she read two good ones about herself, and there was one bad one. And she got upset. She ends up storming off off the set. Uh, this was kind of, NXT UK did this yesterday. Funny, uh, two days ago on Thursday. Funny enough, and uh, the. The guy didn't storm off. He he continued the segment, but it was almost the same thing, so I laughed at that. And I kind of wish her feud with Banks lasted a little bit longer because I feel like Bailey is kind of in this no-man's land as it currently stands. You know, one of the four horsewomen currently stuck in in, uh, in the middle. No no one really, no direction, no one really to go against currently at the moment. You know, if it was her and Carmella and Reginald was there, that could be a story to tell. But as it currently stands, there's nothing... To tell. There's no story with her. There's just she's, she's sitting in limbo. So we'll see where she goes. Moving on to the main event and you know, the best part of the show uh, for me at this point. Daniel Bryan versus Jey Uso in a steel cage match. 
if uh, Brian wins, he gets a Universal Championship match at Fastlane versus Roman Reigns. Uh, Roman Reigns does enter for a closer look. He sing, sits ringside in like an office chair, which I thought was funny. He didn't stand there the whole time. He just sat in an office chair ringside. Uso was dominating early on, being driven into the cage. A Samoan drop from the top rope by Uso was a very nice spot. Uso has to uh, resort to brawling against Daniel Bryan, who just won't quit. Bryan giving all he got. Daniel Bryan locks in the yes lock. Uso reaches for the ropes and grabs them, but no rope breaks in a steel cage match. Bryan wins. Bryan versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship at Fastlane. Uh, funny enough, Bryan talked about how uh, he wasn't going to be the same old Daniel Bryan anymore, and I expect that he will do the opposite of what he said, and he will... Uh, lay down on his back for Roman Reigns on the way for <laughs> WrestleMania. Uh, I think this is one step in the road for Roman Reigns to make him look really legit for Edge once he reaches WrestleMania. Uh, I honestly wish Edge did have a match before Mania at a pay-per-view. Maybe not not at a Raw or a SmackDown. I, I want to see Edge have a match beforehand. But uh, I guess maybe WWE at the same time is looking at that saying, uh, you know, we're going to save him for that big moment. You know, just saving for that big moment at, at Mania, which which I'm okay with as well. And uh, Jey Uso, looking legit, looking legit. He does good stuff, Jey Uso. I give him a lot of credit. Even though he loses a lot of matches, he's the perfect guy to lose. He already gained his credibility with his two matches he had with Roman Reigns. He'll never lose that for me. He 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 put on some top-notch stuff, especially at Hell in a Cell, that I Quit match. That's probably one of the best I Quit matches I've seen in a very, very long time. And uh, Jey Uso has a ton of credibility for me. He's slightly losing it given the fact that he's not winning a lot of matches lately but uh, he's the guy that's supposed to be losing the matches on the way for Roman Reigns to beat uh, beat whoever Jay Uso just lost to that's the whole point of it you know you got to build up you have to build up the guy somehow and it's literally the perfect avenue to go through Jay Uso to Roman Reigns and also it can continues that dominance factor of Roman Reigns is always going to be better than Jay Uso no matter what so I do genuinely like that but Honestly, that was probably one of the only things I liked about uh, this show as a whole. So I'm going to give this one a C-. And I'm a little upset. A little upset because I expect a lot from SmackDown. And for them to uh, to uh, degrade that is uh, a shame. It is a shame. Especially with Apollo Crews. An absolute shame. An absolute, absolute shame. If he just stayed what he was doing the week prior, this week I would have been perfectly fine. I would have been singing his praise. I would have been like, he's doing a great job. But nope, ruined it for me. I said it before I said it again. He, he could have gone to the good, the bad, the ugly. It took him one week to get to the ugly. And uh, that that's an absolute shame. So we're going to head into the break. But coming up next, we're going to take a look at last year's AEW Revolution and see if it, that show is going to sit at that same level of this year's show. Definitely going to be a fun thing to talk about, looking at the card and all stuff like that. So stick with us right here on the Daily GGT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on March 6th, 2000, on an episode of Raw, Bubba Ray Dudley super powerbombed Mae Young through a table. Yes, you heard that right. Mae Young through a table. Unbelievable, unbelievable moment. I remember watching the highlights vividly, and uh, Bubba Ray Dudley still holds a, a nice place in my heart, especially when he made his uh, WWE return late, late, late in his career, and was still doing Get the Tables with Devon. I thought that was very, very fun. And all the stuff that he did in a TNA, which is pretty much the, the late prime of his career, Bubba Ray Dudley. Absolutely great stuff from him. And he's been through 
uh, a ton of it when it comes to the history of professional wrestling, especially going from the late 90s going towards uh, the late 2000s. Uh, he was in the thick of it. He was in all of it. He was in all of the Bubba Ray Dudley. And uh, one of the biggest moments of his career was on this day. Also on this day in 2015, more of a news story, Bill DeMott resigns from his head trainer role at the WWE Performance Center after allegations of severe misconduct from over dozens of former trainees, including verbal and physical assault. DeMott obviously does not work at the WWE Performance Center today, which has turned into a safe haven for many, many, many professional wrestlers now making their way up the ranks in the WWE. Switching from the WWE to AEW, around uh, this time last year, I believe it was February 29th, 2020, uh, all before the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, it was AEW Revolution, the first ever AEW Revolution, and uh, what a show it was. It was a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic pay-per-view, worth saying that three times. That's how good that show was. And uh, this year, it might be tough to live up to what last year's standard was, but definitely some great matches on the card and a questionable main event, but we'll get to that in a little bit. And we're definitely going to be talking about tomorrow when I get to the predictions. But last year's AEW Revolution, Jake Hager defeated Dustin Rhodes by submission. This was Hager's AEW debut. And uh, since then, looking back, Hager hasn't really done a, a ton since he made his debut. Obviously, he's been in some big matches, the Stadium Stampede, and he's done a ton of great stuff with Chris Jericho. And uh, But he's never really been in legitimate, legitimate title contention for either the TNT and obviously not the AEW Championship. But I feel like the TNT Championship is great, absolutely great around Jake Hager's waist. I feel like that's a spot that he could really stand tall on. And, uh, yeah, but I really would like to see more from Jake Hager, especially, uh, you know, we, we know what he was able to do in the WWE. We know what he's able to do in that MMA ring for sure. And I would love, love to see him bring all that stuff together in AEW. Just haven't seen it yet, just yet from him. But you, we all know that that potential is there. We all know it. We all absolutely know it. Next match, Darby Allen defeated Sammy Guevara. Uh, this was also a very solid match. Uh, this was Darby Allen's really big coming out moment, and Sammy Guevara just showing off how well he could take a good bump. Uh, since then, Darby Allen now the TNT champion and going to uh, continue to be a great champion as well. He has a match uh, at uh, Revolution with Sting, which he has been paired up with as they both hold some similar characteristics versus Team Taz in a street fight. So that should be a fun match that I'm really looking forward to uh, this Sunday for AEW Revolution. And Sammy Guevara, uh, he hasn't been able to keep himself in, in the good light of many people. Obviously, all the stuff coming out with what he said about Sasha Banks a while back, and now all the stuff with Impact Wrestling, where uh, he didn't like the career decision, where everything was going, and uh, fracturing, if you will, the relationship between Impact and AEW, and that being Sammy Guevara's fault. Not not a good look, Sammy. Not a good look. But we all know the ten the potential talent that he holds, and we say that about a lot of people. Uh, but that potential talent, it's not like that. It's being squandered by booking or anything like that. It's being squandered by Sammy Guevara's uh, wrongdoing. So I would love to see Sammy Guevara get back on the right foot because uh, he was supposed to be the next big thing. He was, he was paired up with Jericho. That that's huge. He he was underneath Jericho's wing, and now that he's not. Uh, they're definitely going to be a rough road for Guevara to find his footing, I believe, once again in AEW. Uh, that's for sure. 
Kenny Omega and Adam Page defeated the Young Bucks. This was for the AEW Tag Team Championship. Uh, Kenny Omega and Adam Page retained. And uh, six-star match by Meltzer. This is match of the year. Greatest tag team match of all time. And I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm saying that this is probably the greatest tag team wrestling match to ever be shown in a professional wrestling setting. Ever, 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 ever. You have all the right names there. You have the best tag team at the time at, in the Young Bucks, and you have one of the best, two of the greatest professional wrestlers at that time in AEW in Kenny Omega and Adam Page. It all worked out. The stars aligned. The, the planets, the moon, the stars, everything, all the constellations, they all aligned for AEW Revolution, and they put on a fantastic, fantastic match, an absolute show-stealer as well, because this was in the middle of the card absolutely fantastic match if you're gonna go back to watch AEW revolution uh 2020 the one match you need to watch is this one kenny omega and adam page taking on the young bucks for the AEW tag team championship uh since then kenny omega now the AEW world champion the young bucks the AEW tag team champions and adam page having a great singles run as it currently stands. And I think he's going to do some great things as well, especially after this match he has against Matt Hardy. This was just a, a microcosm of all the greatness AEW holds. And for them to put on such a fantastic match, uh, one of my favorite matches of the year last year, uh, it comes up right up there with the Firefly Fun, Funhouse match, even though you, some people don't consider that a match. Uh, but still, this was right up there. This match was some next-level stuff when it comes to tag team wrestling. Almost a definition of AEW. Next match, Nyla Rose, the champion, defeated Chris Statlander uh, for the AEW Women's Championship. Uh, Nyla Rose, since then, uh, has been doing some great work in the uh, AEW Women's Eliminator Tournament, even though she just lost, but that's okay. I think she's going to move on to great things as well. You know, she's, she's been such a dominant force in this women's division for a long, long time, especially being paired up with Vicky Guerrero. I think that's kind of hilarious. And Chris Statlander, she's been missing due to injury, and I, she tweeted out last night that she's waiting to make her return. She's recovering well and all stuff like that. She also mentioned talking about this pay-per-view itself, saying how this was her first ever pay-per-view match. And this was a decent match, but with the AEW women's division, as it definitely as it stands now compared to how it stood then, Completely different. I think now it's sort of solidified itself a little bit, and we sort of know where a lot of people stand uh, a lot better. But then it was it was rough. The women's division in AEW. A lot more focus was toward definitely towards the men's. But and we've seen some great matches since then, uh, especially with uh, Sheeta. She has been a top-notch champion. But getting a little boring for me also. I, I will say that she. I would like to see her uh, involved. Her matches are great. Just the stories I feel like that are being told aren't as top-notch as the men's are. But that just might be the way it is in the women's division as it currently stands in AEW. But I would love, love, love to see that get better. Next match, MJF defeating Cody. At the time, it was just Cody. <laughs> At the time, but now, obviously, Cody Rhodes. Uh, what a match for MJF. I wouldn't say this was a, a you know next-level type match, five-star, whatever, whatever. But this match was so good for MJF's career given how little time he spent on national television, obviously working indies and all the stuff like that, everything that he needed to do to get to AEW. And at that time, solidified himself, literally, in his first year in on national television, in his first year, he has solidified himself as the best heel in professional wrestling, of all of professional wrestling, not just AEW, not just all any of the major stuff, 
all of it, all of it. MJF is the best heel without a shadow of a doubt. And he's still killing it today. He's still doing a fantastic job. Even if you go watch interviews of MJF on YouTube, He's still in character, and he does a fantastic job there as well. Uh, I, you, you come to think, like, this guy, really, he's, he's, he's a jerk, but he, he does a fantastic, fantastic job. I give him a ton of respect in the world, MJF, for what he was not only able to do then, but what he continues to be able to do now, and even establishing the, the Dynamite Diamond Ring as a great heel prop, something that he puts on to knock someone out with that diamond ring. Fantastic heel prop. Fantastic. You can't really give that to a baby face because uh, for them to use that is kind of heelish. So perfect. Perfect heel prop. Absolutely perfect. Uh, Pack uh, beating uh, Orange Cassidy. This was a good match. Uh, I still laugh at the Brutalizer submission hold given that it was made on the spot by uh, Excalibur. Uh, I, I like Pack. I like Orange Cassidy. I think they're both in good places right now. Orange Cassidy at, at one point was the hottest thing going, especially during his time with Jericho. Pack has had some injury issues, but now he's back as well. I uh, would like to see them both get some type of resurgence. But Orange Cassidy, I wouldn't say he's had his time in the sun, but we, I think we've seen him almost at his highest potential. Uh, the highest I think he'll go is the, the TNT Championship at one point. Pack could be an AEW World Champion one day. Definitely could do that without a doubt. He has the perfect look for it. He has the ability to do so. I think he'll find his way there one day, but maybe not soon. Maybe not soon. And the main event, John Moxley uh, versus Chris Jericho for the AEW World Championship. Uh, Moxley won this match and became the AEW World Champion. And this was probably one of the, if not the, career-defining moments for John Moxley. I give him a ton of credit in the world for what he was able to do going from the WWE to AEW and putting himself in the conversation after this match as one of the best wrestlers in the world. In the world. Uh, he put himself in that conversation, and to this day, now he's going to have... Uh, he had a great run with the AEW Championship. He had a great match with Brody Lee. had a great match with Kenny Omega, which he, he lost that championship to. And now they're going to have a barbed wire death match at this year's revolution and i'm excited i am because i have never seen a barbed wire death match live i've uh, i've obviously we now because of all this i had to go back and do my research and everything like that and there's a fun stipulation that comes out in this match as well that was recently announced that this match does have a time limit and if the match reaches its time limit the whole ring explodes the whole that, that's what they said the whole ring explodes so that would be funny to see, uh, especially if they're out the ring, actually. And let's say they, they find their way out of the barbed wire and the explosions, there, and they're up the ramp, and then the timer ends and the whole ring explodes. I feel like that would be a weird way to end the show, but in such a unique way to do it as well. You know, maybe protect everyone from the shrapnel, but, you know, that, I think that would be pretty fun to end the show that way. But uh, to John Moxley and Kenny Omega, both doing, uh, I think, neither of them right now honestly to be honest with you aren't doing great promo work but their in-ring stuff is really good Kenny Omega is doing really bad with like these impact like uh, segments for whatever reason where he's like banging with a hammer and going and talking to kids with bad audio and you know it, it just makes no sense to me it makes no sense and John Moxley's promos are kind of getting old for me a little bit I will say that like yes I understand you love the business John and you know I, I, we all love pro wrestling but uh he says it a lot. He's been saying it for a really long time. He's been saying that since the WWE, that he loves what he does. And, you know, I guess no shame in a man trying to promote that. But uh, I need something else from you, John. I definitely do. But this match could all make up for it. 
could all make up for it. So I'm excited. Uh, this was one of the best uh, pro wrestling shows of 2020, uh, AW Revolution last year, with a stacked card with plenty of moments coming from all around the card from top to bottom, and especially that tag team match. And it's been a few, uh, over a few years, uh, excuse me, it's been uh, a couple of days and a year since that pay-per-view, and AEW has made it through COVID. Uh, they're still going very, very strong. They might have just booted NXT over to Tuesday nights and won the first battle of a long war against the WWE. And I think this, their AEW's in an absolutely fantastic shape. Obviously, they had things to work out. Women's division, getting fans back in seats, but they are working at that. Uh, expanding out of Daly's place after COVID ends, but that's all logistics stuff. Uh, what I really want them to see is improving that women's division, and I think they'll be set. I think they're ready for the future, man. I really, really do. Their main event stuff is very strong. Their mid-card is very strong. Uh, their lower-end stuff is... is I, I don't watch a lot of AEW Dark. I'm going to have to start watching some of the Elevation stuff because I want to see Big Show or Paul White. Um, but yeah, that, that's the only other thing. is I want to see how well they're going to be able to develop new talent going forward. But they've been able to do it. You know... I just want to see them try to do it more, you know. Like they had this one guy from the Mar the Nightmare Family win a match, and they were promoting that now he's he's one in like 29 or something like that. That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. AEW does a great job on bringing stars in that have already been established, but I want to see how well that they're able in the coming years, and at least in this year, how well they'll be able to develop a star of their own. That's what I would really like to see. So next episode... AEW Revolution predictions. I'm going to give you all that, all the matches down the card, including, including uh, not only the card, but who will be the announced signing that the big show said that he was going to announce. Uh, who will it be? I'll give you my prediction. It's good. They said it's a Hall of Fame worthy talent. So uh, definitely a, a good couple names to choose from there. And I'll give that to you tomorrow. So stay tuned. But that's all for me today. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.